Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here, and we're going to cover the market stats for September 2020. So in addition to the stats, I'm going to talk about some ADU zoning updates, some Arvada short-term rental updates, and also some national forbearance data as well. But we'll start with the local data for September 20. And as my regular listeners know out there, I like to compare year over year since we do have seasonality in Denver. I think that's the best way to understand what's going on in the market. So starting off with the active listings or active inventory at the end of the month, and this is for all single families, so houses, condos, and townhomes, there are about 5,300 properties at the end of September. Now in September 19, there are about 9,300. So we're about 43% since uh, lower inventory since we were last year. Now, last year, we did see some increase in inventory. And then this year, of course, we have the lower interest rates. And then COVID has been playing, you know, causing some issues in the market as well. But listen to these next numbers here, because this is very interesting to me. We had about 6,500 new listings in September. We had about 6,400 under contract in September. And that doesn't mean they went under contract. Someday. That just means those are the properties under contract during the time. And we had about 5,800 properties close in September. So more properties close in September than we ended with active inventory in the market. So that right there is just a huge indicator that we are still an extreme seller's market because a lot of people are out there buying. As you know, interest rates are low and we have not seen as many listings as normal throughout this year. I think a lot of people are just sitting tight uh, during COVID. But this just goes to show that we are having some, you know, major inventory issues as usual. Now, breaking those down here for detached single family, we were about 3,000 uh, houses at on the market at the end of September 2020. And for the attached, which are condos and townhomes, we're about 2,200. So both are very low, you know, uh, very low inventory and both of those are less than they were a year ago now houses are down about 50 percent since a year ago in terms of inventory condos and townhomes are down about 18 percent so as we've been experiencing out there and if you're out there buying a property um, you're definitely seeing there's a lot more competition in the detached single family home market so something else about the inventory here give you the context here so the record high inventory for the month of September was about 31,000 back in 2006. Now, the record low inventory was September 2017, which was 7,500 properties in the market. In September 2020, we were more than 2,000 properties less than that at about that 5,300 number I gave you. So this is record low inventory uh, on record for all of September in the Denver metro area so far. So, you know, just again, very tight inventory and still very much a seller's market. So it's very competitive out there to go buy properties. So looking at some other stats here, showing traffic, uh, no surprise here. And this is the internal data that your castle tracks for listings that they have. Uh, 2020 averaging about 11 showings per property. Now, over the last couple of years, we were right around eight showings per property. So we have, you know, more showings per property, which makes sense since we have lower inventory at the same number of people out there buying. 
there's fewer houses out there for them to go tour. But even with all the restrictions of having COVID in place, um, you know, that's still a surprising number to me because with COVID now, there's having to be some extra paperwork, be a pre-approval. And if you've scheduled showings or been on showings, you know, it takes a little bit more extra work and, and coordination as well because they have to space people out. So we definitely see more showings per active listings uh, so far this year. And we've not seen that typical seasonality drop come when we hit the fall time. Uh, but I think that's just because we're still in such weird times with COVID. So very strong showing traffic, which is no surprise there. Uh, talking about price here, we've talked about this on the last couple of podcasts. It's showing the average close price is up 12% from September of this year to September of last year. So that's about 539,000 compared to about 480,000. So that is like a $50,000 price increase. Now, as we talked about, does that mean the whole market is going up by 12%? No, and that's really due to the like distortion of what properties are being sold and not being sold. A lot more of the higher-end properties are being sold now, and the lower end of the market has slowed down some. So it's being weighted a lot more uh, toward the higher end, which drags up the average or pulls up the average. Now, what may be interesting is when we come, you know, maybe spring next year, uh, we may actually see this. Uh, I would think we'll see this price drop dramatically, even maybe even go negative a little bit as that mix starts coming back down to lower-end properties. So. You can't just go straight off the headlines you're reading on the Denver Post or just, hey, prices are appreciating at 12%. It depends a lot as to what properties you're selling. And that's a lot of factors due to financing. Um, and as you guys know out there in the economy, the you know, a lot of the first-time home buyers, a lot of them are the ones being pinched with jobs right now, maybe lower job security, or they're losing their jobs. So they are not in the market buying, which is not selling those properties. We're not selling those properties nearly as fast. So big price increase on paper. And overall, I do think the prices are increasing in Denver from everything that I'm seeing. But I don't think the, across the board, we're seeing a 12% price increase. Just because we're selling a lot more, you know, million dollar-ish homes, it's bringing up the average. But in six months or nine months, if we see that number drop dramatically or even go negative for a bit, it does not mean the sky is falling, most likely. Again, we'll talk about that in the future. So... All right, that's most of the market data I wanted to cover. Uh, a lot of it's the same trends we've talked about in the past. So here's an interesting article uh, from the Denverite, it just talking about rezoning to allow ADUs in certain neighborhoods. As a lot of you know, you know, I think it was yeah last year Denver did pass that Denver blueprint, which was going to start updating a lot of the zoning maps to allow a lot more ADUs around Denver. So. What we're seeing right now is some council members are starting to push for rezoning individual neighborhoods that really want ADUs. So this article mentions, mentions Chaffee Park, and it talks about how just, you know, they're a very well-organized neighborhood, and a lot of the residents there want to start having ADUs. So they're going to go forward and hopefully start getting their whole neighborhood rezoned first, and this way they can go get it done before they have to wait for the whole zoning department and the higher level bureaucracy to go through and do all that. Other neighborhoods on the list, in addition to Chaffee Park, are Sloan's Lake and East Colfax. Now, give me a second here, because I printed this off and highlighted a few things that I thought were some really interesting stats. 
So current city zoning regulations allow one ADU per lot and about 25% in Denver. Now, people in the remaining 75% who want an ADU can petition the city for a fee of about $1,000, uh, plus you know other time and cost with dealing with red tape, um, to get their specific lot zone for an ADU. So if you do have a house or a, you know, a property that you want to have an ADU on there, definitely uh, make sure you learn the details on here because it sounds like those are getting approved more often than not and just through a thousand dollar fee and some extra you know some extra time and work so if you're interested definitely reach out to the city of denver another interesting highlighted quote here is that already about 38 percent of the properties in sloan's lake are zoned for adus and many of its surrounding neighborhoods are uh, are allowing adus as well so as of Thursday, 206 people had responded to an electronic survey about ADUs in Sloan's Lake, with nearly 70% of people saying they supported the rezoning. So the overall gist of this article, and it's really a well-written article, so check the show notes and it's linked to there. I would recommend reading it. But just there's a lot of people that want ADUs. They're up for the zoning. And so hopefully we're going to see more of that zoning become more favorable. And as more of that zoning and more people get bored with ADUs, hopefully the cost of ADUs go down. And hopefully the, the, um, you know, the whole process of dealing with the city and permitting and all that stuff becomes more streamlined as well. So you know, is this going to make a huge difference today? For most people, not, unless you want to go out there and get rezoned and, you know, uh, you want, you're willing to invest the money into it right now. But in the long term, this is great for Denver and hopefully a lot of the surrounding uh, counties and areas will start following that as well. So going on uh, some updates on forbearance and foreclosures. So about a week or two ago, the Wall Street Journal sent out a emailed out a great chart, um, just kind of breaking down the whole forbearance status uh, nationwide. So I'm going to read you these numbers here. And the chart is from September 22nd, 2020. And the article and the graph are linked in our show notes as well. So about 46% of people, or about 2.8 million people, have active forbearance where they've extended their terms. So that's about 46% of people. About 30%, or about 1.8 million, have removed themselves from, from forbearance or gotten back to a performing status. About 13% are still in active forbearance on the original term, and that's about 820,000. About 6% have paid off. Um, it doesn't give them the details on there, but I'm assuming that is from you know selling or refinance or something like that. But about 4%, and this is the key figure here, about 4% or just over a quarter million people have been removed from forbearance because they are delinquent and they are an active like loss mitigation. So starting the you know foreclosure process, you know, or whatever that looks like right now during COVID. But only about 4% right now, those forbearances back from March, April, May, are actually out of forbearance and now going into some type of distressed sale. So this is nationwide data. Uh, so we don't have any data for specifically in Colorado, but assuming that we have around 4% in Colorado as well, um, you know, the good news is those homeowners is that they probably have a lot of equity in their properties. So they should be able to sell their home, 
uh, put it on the market and still get you know uh, fair market value, sell it quickly, pay off the loan, and move on to what's best for their family. Now, you know, from a pure investor standpoint, you know, investors from a pure number standpoint, you know, hey, we want to see properties in foreclosure um, to drop things. I still think we'll see a huge surge in them. But I'm actually very happy just kind of see that we're not seeing a huge amount of distressed properties because I know as an investor hat, I'm supposed to, you know, cheer for people wanting to go into foreclosure and distressed properties. I just, you know, I've had my ups and downs over the years as well and can relate to people who've gone through bad times. So from like the human empathy standpoint, I'm really glad to see it's low. But from the takeaway here, again, same thing we've been saying for months here. Don't be, don't hold your breath, and don't expect to see a huge surge of distressed properties um, or you know prices starting to drop because all these foreclosures are going to hit the market. I've talked with a lot of fix and flippers and people that buy a lot of stuff from auctions, and they are changing the way they're finding properties because they see what's going on and they think that trend's going to continue for a while as well. All right, last thing I want to talk about here. Oh, City of Arvada. And I cannot remember if I talked about this in the last podcast update or not, so I'm going to do it again. Um, Arvada, and I think it was back in early August, they uh, passed a law. The city council did. It was six to one, six yes, one no, where they are allowing non-owner-occupied investment properties to run short-term rentals. So the basic rules are that is an individual is allowed to have up to three properties and they can do a short-term rental for up to 240 days a year. Now, a short-term rental is defined as 30 days or less. So that's your Airbnbs, your Verbos, you know, those, those vacation homes. So I've got a couple house hacking clients in Nevada that are airbnb it and they've been doing it legally because they've been owner-occupying it and they've had great success on there. So Arvada is a great market for you know uh, Airbnb and short-term rentals, but now Arvada has passed that uh, rule. So investors can go in there and buy a property, be non-owner occupied, and go out there and Airbnb it. You still have to file the proper paperwork. You have to file, you know, stay within the rules of 240 days. I've had a few people ask me that, hey, if they're a married couple and the wife puts three properties in her name, the husband puts three properties in his name, can they have six properties? I don't know the answer to that. I've not clarified that with uh, Arvada yet. But if anyone knows out there, shoot me a message and I'll definitely share it on the next month's uh, podcast. So if you're interested in that, um, you know, be on the lookout for that. We've been running some Air DNA data, which is uh, Air DNA is almost like a, uh, a rentometer that just scrapes rental data from Airbnb and gives you ideas for how much rental income, how much occupancy, you know, just kind of gives you ideas like what you can make. It's been interesting kind of running some reports to see, um, you know, how those numbers work out and all that. So if you have any interest in that, reach out. We're happy to share some data with you on the AirDNA reports. Um, one last thing that I highlighted here that I saw and this is from the Denver Metro Association Realtors monthly report they do. It said nearly 23,000 people entered the lottery conducted last week by the Denver Housing Authority for federal Section 8 subsidies. Last year, after a similar number of entries, fewer than 1,000 people were given new subsidies. So, you know, on the podcast and in our deal analyses, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, uh, Section 8 as a great rental option. And there's still a huge need for affordable housing. A lot of people, you know, want to get those Section 8 vouchers. 
and they cannot. And there's still a lot of demand out there from people with those vouchers looking for places to live. So, you know, those numbers just keep updating there. I thought that was very interesting since I, you know, I'm a fan of it and all our investors and listeners are fans of Section 8 as well. And going through my highlight notes here. Oh, last thing, mortgage rates. Uh, if you have not noticed at this point, you know, mortgage rates have definitely dropped a lot. And a while ago, you know, Joe had mentioned, I think Joe had on been the podcast and mentioned on here that for refis, that starting uh, very soon, and the official date is going to be December 1st, they're going to start charging a 0.5% additional fee on refinances. So if you're in the process of refinancing or you want to refinance, uh, probably prudent to do it before December 1st. Now, some lenders have already started pricing in that 0.5% fee into their rates and quotes. Some have not. So if you've not refied yet, you're in the process of it, I would definitely recommend doing that before December 1st. And based on historical data, I'd recommend getting that process started before the election as well, as rates have a tendency to spike after the election. So if you're out there refinancing, I would get on that and then make sure you talk with their lender to ask about that 0.5%. And the official term is adverse market fee. But if you just say that increased fee, Every lender in the sun is going to know what you're talking about. So talk with the lenders and see if that's priced into uh, their rates or yet or not. And I'd recommend getting on start, getting started on that sooner rather than later. All right. Well, thank you for listening. If you guys have interesting news articles or questions or data that you want to start tracking or hear about, shoot an email. Chris at DenverInvestmentRealEstate.com. Uh, I've got some of my internal processes updated to where we can go back to start covering a little bit more market updates and news, not just the market stats, but as we see interesting articles um, and just you know interesting data points. We're starting to keep a running file on here, and we can put it all in the blog post so that way we can talk about it and have it referenced as well. All right. Thank you for listening, and have a great one.